God, thank you so much. Thank you for speaking to us. Thank you for revealing yourself to us. God, we submit our minds and our hearts to you. Pray that you would engage every single bit of us as, as we get into your word. Uh, Lord, I pray that, that you would be revealed, that you would be lifted high, Jesus. And Jesus, as you are lifted high, pray that you would draw every single one of us closer to yourself, closer to you. We trust you uh, to do that work of revealing, teaching, guiding us. And we thank you for what you're doing. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for what you're doing in this church, how you're moving us and orchestrating us to, to reflect you, to bring glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So if you have your Bibles this morning, I'd encourage you to open to Matthew chapter 5. That's where we're going to start this morning. Matthew chapter 5. This is... The Sermon on the Mount, this is a, this is a big one from, from Jesus. Uh, and so, so we're going to kind of start here. As you can see, we're going to be speaking over these next few Sundays about being a city on a hill. This is what we're going to look at here, how Jesus describes how he talks about his people being a city on a hill. And so I'm going to, to kind of frame a little bit this morning, frame just where that discussion is going to go, what that's going to look like for us. But let's just begin by getting into the words of Jesus. So uh, Matthew chapter 5 here, I'm going to start in verse 14. Uh, we'll just read a, a couple uh, verses here. He says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus, he begins this sermon uh, with what's called the Beatitudes, pronouncing blessings over over certain people, certain people that would not typically be considered blessed. Uh, talking about being blessing the people who are mourning, blessing uh, the peacemakers, blessing the people who are pure in heart, not necessarily the, the people who are high up in society and really super religious and all those kinds of things. He pronounces blessings on, on all these people. And then straight from there, he starts to talk about their identities, calling them the salt of the earth, calling them the light of the world, this city that's set on a hill. And, and he speaks this over his people. And before, honestly, we get even into any of the framing of what we're going to talk about, I, I really just want to say how good it is, how Jesus, he starts things off. In this, in this sermon, he will talk about a lot of specifics, how we are to follow him. He talks about lust. He talks about giving. He, he talks about so many different things, ways that we are to do uh, following him. But before he talks about any of the do's, he clarifies first and foremost who you are. He said even before you started to do these things, he, the people who are listening, us, you and I who are reading this now, he's, he first and foremost clarifies this is who you are. Realigns your identity. Says you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And then, yes, he goes into all these specifics of what it looks like, what it means to 
follow him, how to deal with anger. But first and foremost, he says, these are the things that you are. And I, I pray that as we get into what we're doing over these next few weeks, I pray that God would start to work on us in our hearts, each and every one of us individually, to remind us who we are. A lot of times when we get off base in life, whenever we get off track, our, our minds might go to, okay, I need to start doing some more. I need to, Dad Gummin, I need to get back in church every Sunday. I need to start reading my Bible more. Got to get back on the plan. It's good to do things. It is very good to, to make those commitments and recommit to the Lord what, what you want to do. But first and foremost, I think it begins even more than that with a seed from, from God, a word from God about who you are. Because if we can be reminded of who we are, to, to be reminded that we are people who are made in God's image, that we are image-bearing creatures that were specifically designed to reveal how good He is, to show God in this world. Uh, if we could be reminded of who we are, that we are the light of the world in Jesus, that we are the salt of the earth in Jesus, that we are children of God because of Jesus and what he's done. If we can be reminded of who we are, then I believe the do's come naturally after that. The do's just kind of flow from the R's, if we're going to put it really scientifically. So let's be reminded first and foremost of who, who we are. This is where Jesus begins these things. He pronounces his blessings and he says, this is who you are. And then, of course, goes and unpacks so many different things of the kingdom. But uh, I, I want to focus specifically here on a city set on a hill. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. And I, I want, as we talk about this, being a city on a hill, what it means for us to be God's people, to be his church, and what that's going to look like. Uh, for us, specifically here at Victory Life Church Boswell, specifically here, because Jesus, he's made it to where you and I, as we're woven together by his spirit, that we start to create uh, or, or reveal a world that is completely different from the earthly world around us. It's here on earth, his, his kingdom is here in the earth, but it's not of this world. Uh, so to reveal something that is completely different. So not just for you to be a different kind of individual. God wants that as well. But not just for me to be a different kind of individual, but for you and I together to be like a, a city, to be like a family, some kind of conglomerate, some kind of group together thing that operates and functions totally different, completely different from what the world around us looks like so that it can be seen from the world in order to glorify Jesus, in order to glorify his Father in heaven. So just like he, he sets this imagery of a city on a hill. A city on a hill, you know, I'd think especially at night, especially in the middle of darkness, you would see lights up in the city. You'd see fires burning if it was way back when. Or, you know, these days you'd probably see the, the electricity, the, the glowing rooms, lit houses. You'd see activity going on, something going on. And if it's a city on a hill, you know, all these people around, especially in the darkness, would see that. They kind of look to that. It might be a place of refuge, a place where you could go get a bite to eat if you're hungry. Something's happening. Something's going on. But you and I being a city on a hill specifically for God, it's to reveal the goodness of his kingdom, to reveal what life actually is supposed to be like. 
life how God designed it to be. Life according to his word. Um, and so that's what we're, we're called to do. Not necessarily to just go shout at people, tell them that they need to start following God, but to live a life together, you and I, to live a life that so loudly speaks of God's reality and his kingdom and his goodness that people cannot help but see it. That people can't help but notice and see that there's, oh, there's a different way to live. Oh, there's a different way to handle my sexuality. Oh, there's a different way to hang, handle my anger. There's a different way to handle my finances. There's a different way to handle my pride. What, whatever you fill in the blanks, you and I are called to live a certain kind of life that the world sees like a city that's set on a hill that looks so obvious and so clear that either they're drawn to it because they see that's how life should be and how God designed it to be, or in hating God and hating His goodness, are judged by the fact that they've seen what is right and chosen to turn away from it. But regardless, it's, it's to be a city set on a hill. And so this is what he's designed, what he wants for, for his church to be like. And so what I want to unpack over the next few weeks is how we do that here at Victory Life Church. Uh, over the past couple weeks, we've seen some video messages from Pastor DeWayne and Pastor Jacob to kind of show from the larger, uh, broader Victory Life Church some transition that's going on. And something that they referenced was how in the middle of transition, in the middle of change, there are certain things that remain the same. Uh, Pastor Jacob, he talked about them like load-bearing walls. Like there are some walls, if you're renovating, if you're changing things, you can knock those over, but you got to know what the load-bearing walls are because you can't mess with those. And so these load-bearing walls are like some of the core values of Victory Life Church. And so what I want to say is the things that we're going to be talking about here over these next few weeks, it's not necessarily that these things are the gospel. It's not that like this is the way to do it. Every church has to have these core values and these ways of doing the things and this part of their culture. But I'm just saying that from our leadership, uh, as they've prayed and discerned from the Lord, this is how we do it. And I believe that even though these things in and of themselves aren't the gospel, as we focus on these things, it's the way that the gospel is applied in our lives. Uh, so these core values, they're written here on the wall. So if you want a point of reference, these are like, these can be your notes today. Uh, but I'm going to just go through these. We're going to give a, an overview a little bit this morning of why these things are core to the values of how we do church, how we do and why we do what we do, and the fact that each of these point us into the headship of Jesus. Because ultimately, you know, these things, the word, relationship, integrity, family, generosity, being a generational church, these are core values to who we are, but we're not saying that these things are the gospel. But we are saying that as we pursue these things, as we pursue this being our culture, this being the, the water that we're swimming in here, the way that we do things, the natural process for how we do what we do in life, as we do these things and submit them to Jesus, that's following, that's in line with Jesus, the head of the church, with his kingdom, with with following him. And so these are going to kind of be our guide, but the whole point of it is following Jesus. The whole point of it is submitting to him and in doing so, him creating in us, in our church, this city that's set on a hill. 
Because these things, more than just words, I, I, I pray and, you know, I'm asking the Lord that as we unpack them, it becomes that much more clear. But if we look at these things in our world today, truly submitting, like being a family, being generational, long-sided, not short-sided, being a, a people of integrity, people who are committed to the Word of God. Each and every one of these things, if we truly are submitting that to Jesus, truly following God in that, it is an absolute like 180 from the culture that we actually live in in the world, from what the world is. If we start to model these things, if we start to live these things together, you and I, that is a part of being the city on a hill that Jesus said that we are. This is a part of kingdom living that reveals an entirely different way of doing things that ultimately brings glory to our Father in heaven. So we're going to kind of slowly unpack those things, but for now, at least this morning, we're just going to kind of give uh, a, an overview. I'm going to like taking a shotgun to it, okay, like a spread shot. We're just going to get it all out there, and, and then we'll really unpack as we go through. And I believe it's going to be uh, a really fun few weeks that, that we're able to do this together. Uh, so uh, again, like I say, you got your Bibles, the the... First thing, I'll start over there on the end, the Word. So you and I, at Victory Life Church, we have a cultural value of the Word. The Word. And whenever I say that, it's a little bit twofold. So Jesus said, Jesus made it really clear that uh, He is the Word made flesh. So whenever I say the Word, a lot of times people think the Bible, what's written here, the Scriptures. And yes, that is true. We're committed to this written word. But I want us to focus too specifically on the fact that we're committed to and focused on this word as it reveals Jesus, the living word. Jesus, the living word. In the, the first chapter of John, he, he opens up his gospel talking about how uh, everything was created through the word. That nothing that exists wasn't created that wasn't created through the Word. He said it better than that. But as he goes on, he says, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is the Word of God. Jesus is the Word lived in front of us. And so we are committed to Jesus, the Word of God. He said uh, later on in the, uh, the book of John, he, he was talking to the religious people of the day and saying, that you search the scriptures thinking that in them you have eternal life, not realizing that it is they that speak of me. Jesus said, you look at these scriptures thinking that the, the eternal life is in there, not realizing that they speak of me. Have you ever met religious people, uh, not here, of course, but in other places that you've been, uh, religious people who really, like, out of a good heart, I believe, out of a good desire, really want to just, like, to the letter, to the T, just do everything that is said here. Out of a good heart, sincere, it's great. But that minus relationship with Jesus, that minus the grace of Jesus, the goodness of God that's revealed in Him, that really just leads to a life full of spinning your wheels, frustration, not just at yourself, but then the people around you. Uh, it, honestly, a lot of times it leads to hatefulness. It leads to really mean and messed up things, with treating people really poorly for the sake of trying to 
do what it says in the Word. You know, Jesus was full of grace and truth. Um, and so him living out the Word in front of us was something that, that made this Word, these Scriptures, approachable. Something that, that made it something that we could have access to, that we could actually come before the throne of God because of him. And so if you, if you really, out of a good heart, out of good intentions, try to just model your entire life around these scriptures and these words, but you miss Jesus, you don't get the, the person that it's actually talking about, the person that it's actually here to reveal, then you've completely missed the point. So we are, as a church, are committed to this core value of the word of God, that we want to know the scriptures. We want to teach the scriptures. We want to be immersed in the scriptures. And we want to be immersed in the life of Jesus as we do it. We want him to reveal himself to us as we do it. And again, I said that all of these values that we're going to be going through, it's a city on a hill. It's something different. It's a light that is in the darkness. Because what we see around us in our culture is a way of being, a way of living, a way of thinking that is completely unanchored to truth. Jesus prayed over his disciples. He prayed to the Lord. He said, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. God's word is truth. That, okay, I, I, know, um, I know that's a simple thing. A very simple thing to say, but God's word is truth. We live in a world right now where truth is what your truth is. Truth is what you think at the moment. Truth is what feels good to you. What is your truth? Be led by your truth. Be guided by your truth. Y'all, my truth gets real dumb sometimes. <laughs> my truth yesterday was frustrated and angry because I was offended about something. That wasn't the truth. It was my truth. My truth isn't worth the spit that it's wrapped in. I don't know where that came from. But y'all, if we're, if we're just led and guided by, by what is the, the dominant idea of the day, what, what are the, just the, the cultural values of the moment, whatever my whim is, whatever uh, somebody else said that just sounded good, then it, we're un, unanchored, we're, we're untethered. And we see that in life. We see that in the culture around us. People who truly are, uh, untethered, uh, really aimless. And this, his word becomes like a tether, becomes like an anchor to reality, to truth, to, to absolute godly truth that does exist, that isn't just co-created and constructed between two individuals as they think, hey, this sounds good. No. We're committed to the word. We're committed to God's word, God's truth. And that's something that is a light, in darkness. That's something that is a city on a hill. That's something that is other than what the rest of the culture is. Something that they can see and point to and say, that looks different. That's strange, but in a good godly kingdom kind of way. So we're, we're people who are committed to the word. And as we go in, into all these things, of, of course, we're going to unpack these individually later. But I want to encourage us to think, what does this mean for us as a church? Like, what does it mean for us as we're gathered together to be committed to the word? Uh, you know, does that mean, obviously, it, we're going to teach from the Bible. We're, we're going to teach his word, but incorporating more even into to worship. I love that uh, Clint opened with 
Scripture today as we're worshiping, that we're getting into the Word and, and that our songs are just dripping with the words of Scripture. So uh, with the Word, how, how are we as a church committed to the Word? But then even for you and I individually, how am I committed to God's Word? How am I committed to the Word that is Jesus? And what does that look like for me individually? I want us to, to consider those things. The next thing, integrity, uh, is a, a commitment for us. Integrity is a commitment for us. I want to read um, out of the, the book of Proverbs. This says it really, really well here. Just right to the point, straight to it. Proverbs 28, verse 6 says, Better is a poor man who walks in his integrity than a rich man who is crooked in his ways. Amen. Can't say it much better than that. But we... That needs to be a commitment of value, a characteristic of us as a church, that we would be more committed to integrity than being successful according to the world's standards. Uh, uh, and this is, I believe that it has infiltrated into the church, uh, the, a lack of integrity that really diminishes, it tries to rob and steal what God would want to do in the world. Because, you know, you can be a very gifted person and lack integrity. You can be a gifted teacher of the Word of God. You can be a gifted worship leader. You could be a gifted prophet. You could be a gifted evangelist, whatever. You could be so, so gifted. God's gifts, His callings, they're without repentance. He puts them on people. But it's, it's God's gifting that can maybe get you to a certain place, get you some kind of name, renown, whatever. But it's, it's integrity that's actually going to keep us where, where God can put us. Uh, it's integrity, something that we choose, something that we have to make personal commitment to, to character, <clears throat> to stay where we're at. You know, God's done powerful things through this church. God's used this church through decades to minister to this community, to see people's lives change, relationships that have been restored, people prophesied over. God's done awesome, awesome things. But, you know, a lack of integrity from just a few people could completely wreck what God wants to continue to do in the future. Uh, it, it's so, so we need to be committed to integrity. Even if we would rather be, I would rather there be five of us and we be a people of integrity, that we do what we say we're going to do, that we live lives uh, on the surface, that we also live lives on the inside, that the things, they, they line up. What we say, what we do, it, it goes together. Uh, I would rather us be five people and we do that than, than we pack every seat in here and we lack integrity. We lack integrity. So we're going to speak even more to that. Again, considering what it's like for us as individuals, but then also what is it like for us as a church to walk in integrity and to value integrity. Because sometimes that means making the hard decision. That, sometimes that means making the decision that's going to cost us in the short run, for the sake of seeing what God wants to do in the long run? Uh, are, are we committed? Are we ready to make costly decisions uh, that would not seem beneficial to us because it's the right thing to do, because it's what God is telling us to do, and because it's the thing of integrity? You know, uh, in considering integrity, I think of like a building or a bridge or something. I think of like structural integrity, right? Like if something has structural integrity, it means like, it all fits together perfectly. It makes sense. It was designed the right way. It's, it's, it's doing what it's supposed to do. But if there's just one little piece that is lacking structural integrity, I, you know, when I cross a bridge on the road, I want the entire thing to have structural integrity. 
I don't want one of the legs to be jacked up a little bit. I don't, it, one little bit, one little piece can, can really mess everything up. And so you and I, as we're knit together by the Holy Spirit, we, we all need to be committed to living lives of integrity, honesty, truth, loving the truth. Another one, relationship. So in Genesis chapter 1, I know I'm bouncing around here. In Genesis chapter 1, I'm going to start in uh, verse 26 here. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, right here at the beginning. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. What I want to point out here is the use of us and our. When God is making man in his image, he said, let us make man in our image. Y'all, this is a mystery, but we serve a triune God who is one person and three persons at the same time. It's a mystery. That's not one of those things that we just, aha, I got it. <laughs> okay? I, maybe you have. I, I'm still working that out. But as the beautiful part of this mystery is that in the very image of God, in the very fabric of the foundation of the universe, how everything was created, the, the person from whom everything flows is at once one and three. He models and exists in relationship even before the beginning of time. Who God is, is in relationship, even in himself. And even think about how that extends from him, that what he created, his, his image-bearing creatures, that he wanted relationship with them. He wanted to be close. So even in giving the law, he gave the law and then made it a covenant, made it an agreement between him and the thing that he created. Because there was relationship. And we see this ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ. That Jesus didn't come and just say, listen, y'all got it all wrong. This is what God wants you to do. Do this, 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 this. No, he came and lived among us. He dwelt among us. He was the word made flesh. Again, coming back to that, that ultimately in who God is and how he wants to relate to his people is in relationship. It's in connection. Jesus, again, didn't just come with this list of do's and don'ts, but Jesus came to live among us to be close to us, to experience the afflictions that we experience, to experience the temptations that we experience, yet without sin, so that we could have relationship with him. God is about relationship. As a bunch of, ways, bunch of different words to say God is about relationship. And where churches, where God's people can get it wrong sometimes, is whenever we highlight and accentuate rules over relationship. And religious ceremonies and procedures and ways of doing things over relationship. Y'all, if we're going to be a church that is committed to relationship, that means, okay, I've heard this said before, that we belong before we behave. Belong before we behave. I don't know if you've heard that before, but I think that that's a big way that God relates to us, that we are to belong. People, y'all, sinners, the sinful should belong here before they get their lives right. 
We don't need to wait on people to get their stuff in order before they can be welcome here at this church. Before, it should be a good thing whenever people are smelling like smoke coming in here. We should be setting the smoke detectors off just from second hand, you know, people walking in. You know, we'll deal with that whenever it comes, okay? We'll cross that bridge when we come to it. But for us to be committed to relationship truly uh, really means it looking a little messier than how we have it pictured in our head sometimes. Uh, working in relationship, you know, that's how God approached us. That's how God came to us. He came to me when I was a sinner. He came to me when I was messed up. He came to me in the middle of brokenness and still extended his love and his goodness. He, he gave his, you know, oil of gladness for all of my junk and my mourning. And uh, he, he made that trade whenever I was still in the state of death and destruction that I was in. It's the same way that we need to approach the people around us, to be committed to relationship. Okay, I got a story to tell. Um, so uh, if so we have some people from our church recently uh, do a, a mission trip in Uganda, uh, even a couple from here at the Boswell campus. I'm looking forward here pretty soon to having some people share about that. But Victor Life Church as a whole from different campuses, uh, people went uh, to Uganda and they had paired with a ministry that was over there. I can't remember all the story. Obviously, I wasn't there. This is like secondhand information. But they had connected with a, a man in Uganda who uh, runs some kind of uh, parachurch organization there. And he, they welcome in people from the streets uh, to, to just kind of be a part of their ministry. Anyway, this guy, he had welcomed someone in off the street welcomed him into his home, into their ministry to try to help others, and found out pretty soon that he was stealing from him. This guy that he had welcomed him in off the street was stealing from him. And so he, he had found out about that, realized that, but didn't do anything about it. And whenever some of the people from our church asked him, like, okay, what was going on there? Like, how did you deal with that? Why? Well, he said, you know, I realized that God was after his heart. And if I, if I just like got onto him or came down hard on him about the stealing, uh, that I'd lose him. And, and, you know, of course there's wisdom in all this, but he said, if I'd, have, if I'd have just addressed that thing right there, I'd have lost him. But I knew God was after his heart. And so pretty soon, of course, God got a hold of him. God changed his life. And now that kid who was there thieving in the ministry, now he's an integral part of that ministry. He's pouring out God's spirit to other people ministering. Isn't that just amazing? But again, that's one of those things where that's just an example of the fact that we have to be committed to relationship, that we know, man, if, if we can just introduce someone to Jesus Christ, if we can just get somebody talking to God and listening to God and have that relationship going back and forth, the behaving will happen. And we don't need to fixate just on the behaving, but allowing them to belong with us, of allowing them to belong with God and, and seeing God in his relationship uh, minister to people. So we've got to be committed to relationship, committed to family, committed to family. Uh, again, this goes right alongside in, uh, with relationship that God, it, it says in, I believe it's in Psalms, God takes the lonely and he puts them in homes. He puts them in families that we as a church need to be committed to this fact that if you've called upon the name of Jesus, 
then we're, like it or not, we're brother and sister. <laughs> like it or not. And sometimes it's a not. And that's okay. It's all right. Family, we, we have disagreements. We have different opinions. We have different ways of doing things, different personalities. But at the end of the day, we have to be able to call one another brothers and sisters and to be family, to be there for one another as, in, as it is in a family. I, I want to go to uh, the book of Ephesians now. I'm hopping all over. I apologize. But uh, in Ephesians chapter 2, this was worked out, uh, honestly, this whole idea of family, being in the, the family of God, it was worked out a lot in, the, uh, uh, in these letters to the churches because they had to figure out, okay, we've called upon Jesus. We've made Jesus Lord of our lives. What the heck does that look like for us here in Ephesus or here in Rome? Or like, what do we do as a church? Um, and so, so here's what uh, the Apostle Paul says to, to the Ephesians. Chapter 2, I'm going to start in verse 17. This is talking about what Jesus has done for us. He came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being our cornerstone. We are fellow citizens and saints, members of the household of God. And he's saying this because a lot of times there were Jews and there were Gentiles, both who had come to accept Jesus. And there were divisions a lot of times along those lines of, well, am I a part of the people of God or am I a Gentile who's just grafted in now? What does our relationship look like now? He said, no, those who are far off, those who are close, every single one of us have been brought by Jesus and through Jesus into one spirit connected to the Father, all in the household of God, all in one family. He brings the lonely into a family and into a house. He brings those who are far off, again, relationship. He brings the, the smokers, the drinkers, the partiers. He, he brings all these people into one relationship with him, one relationship together, into this family together. So we're going to be committed to family. We're going to be committed to family. And, and yes, that is as it operates here for us as a church. But also, we're going to be committed to your family. We're going to be committed to your relationship with your spouse. And, and we're going to be committed to how you raise your kids and loving and caring for them because it's in that family. We believe, you know, we could go back to Genesis again and see how those relationships are the first foundational ways that he starts to bring this picture into the world of what his goodness looks like, bringing us into a home together, into a family together. So that's something we're going to be committed to. To be generational, Another one that we're going to unpack is to be generational. So many times in Scripture, it talks about God, refers to him as the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. Uh, Pastor DeWayne and Pastor Jacob mentioned this together as they were sharing, but even just in how you talk about God being a God of multiple generations, what God wants to do, you know, this is what God wants to do in your life is not just about you and the people around you presently. God, God exists beyond time. You know, even whenever we say generational, it shows this like linear line of this person, then that person, then that person. God exists outside of that. 
God exists beyond that. The things that he wants to do that he uh, is trying to accomplish in this world through us, it goes beyond just the, the years that you and I have on this earth. It goes beyond that. It's so much more than that. And so, so we want to be committed to, to having a generational mindset. Uh, and again, we're going to unpack a lot more of what that actually looks like, what that means, because that's one of those nice words that you could just say, that you could throw out there, but what does it actually mean and look like for us to be a church where every single person is welcome and ready to be used of God? That there's no, no pushing out the door that, ah, you're too old, you're, uh, you're, we've exhausted you, you're, you're done, you're out. There's none of that. And there's also no stepping on, ah, oh, you're too young, too immature, too dumb, you haven't seen enough. There's none of that. Every single one of us, we have something to offer and God can orchestrate it together to where we're truly a generational church. Um, uh, I, I was reminded of the book of Acts. So they they quote from the prophet Joel that your young men will dream dreams, your old men will see visions, or I could have got that flip. Somebody's visioning and somebody's dreaming. But essentially what he says is, as my spirit is poured out on you, I'm engaging the, the young people here. I'm engaging the old people here. There's no like division of who can be leading the charge, who's got the right decisions to make. Of course, we have submission. We, we have honor and respect for, for people, but God wants to use every single one of us. God's got things that he wants to do through kids who are listening to a children's church lesson right now, who are getting God's word for them. God wants to use them in ways that I'm not equipped yet to do. And we got to respect and, and honor that and value it. Stoke that flame a little bit. So we're going to be a generational church. Again, city on a hill, light in the darkness. We live in a culture and a society that is the only thing that exists is what's right in front of me right now in this moment. There is not a sense of what's, what, what, is, what is my decision right now going to mean for a generation later? Much less, what is my decision right now going to mean for two hours later? We live in a world that is so, so instant gratification. So what, what's important to me right now? How do I satisfy myself or my needs in this moment? That there's no concept of how our decisions affect the next generation, how our decisions affect uh, the people around us even years from now. And so to really walk out and live as individuals, as a church, having a generational mindset, having a... a a thought toward what is my life meaning for a hundred years from now? That's a light in the darkness. And that is a city on a hill that looks different and is different uh, that brings glory to God. So again, we're, we're going to be talking about living this city on a hill kind of lifestyle. And then the last thing that we have here, generosity. God is a giver. You know, I mean, John 3.16 is quoted all the time. I think almost everybody knows it. And woven right into that is that God loves so much that he gave. God loved this world so much that he gave his son for us. He gave everything for us to welcome us into his family. 
He is a giver. And, so, and He's created us in His image to be givers, to be generous. Uh, I just recently, I, I know we taught on this, of stewarding God's grace and in so doing, like being a people of generosity, being people who are ready to give, ready to sow, not just think about what we're going to reap, what we're going to get back. But this is, I, you know, I've gone through times and seasons of my life. I, I think every one of us, we are stronger in some areas than we go in these weaker areas. I've been in times of my life where I'm just like ready to give, ready to pour out. If it's money, I, God, who do you want me to give it to? How do you want me to bless somebody? If it's time, if it's my energy, where do you want me to give? And I've gone through other times and seasons of my life where I'm like, God, don't ask me to do nothing right now because I'm spent. I'm done. And and the thing about it is like you feel it. You, you feel whenever you are operating and living in the way that God designed you to live. He designed you to be a giver. He designed you to be generous. He designed you to be open to the people around you and to be open-handed, open-hearted. And so we feel that. We experience that. And so we're going to be a church that is generous, that's giving, that's open. Uh, you know, again, I'm this will be the last scripture that I go to here in Romans chapter 8. In Romans 8, starting in verse 31, he says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? If he didn't spare his own son, if he didn't keep that back from us, how is God not going to graciously give us every single thing that we need? Everything that he's going to provide for us, he's going to care for us. Y'all, if we are living our lives on house money, then how easy should it be for us to give to the people around us? How easy should it be for us to be open, to be, to be gracious? That, that's like constantly in Scripture in the way that Jesus describes things. In, if He's been so gracious and free with forgiveness for us, how can we not be gracious and free with that for other people? If He's given to us, if we know that He's going to provide for us, then essentially we're living our lives on house money. Everything we have is a gift. Wow, what good oxygen that I didn't pay for. Every single thing that we have, it's, it's a gift. It's, it's from the Lord. And if we truly buy into that, then we live lives of gracious giving to the people around us as well. That's how God's designed us to be. And that's going to be a city on a hill. That's going to be something that the people around us look to and see, wow, that's different. Wow, that's strange. Wow, God must be doing something there. And I really want us to, as we, as we get into this, I, I want us to, to look at the difference between what this kingdom stuff is like to, the, to what the culture is like around us. Because in America, and specifically I'd say in Bible Belt America, which I'd say we're in. Can I get a witness? Yeah, okay. I'd say we're in the Bible Belt. It's very easy to just assume that the culture around you is the culture of God, right? Good old country values. Good old Southern hospitality, right? The, it's easy to just buy into, well, everybody around me is pretty much Christian. Everybody around pretty much, yeah, we follow God. Maybe they don't come to church on Sunday. Maybe they're just confused for a second, but essentially they're Christian. I'm, we're all Christians here, right? Well, 
let's distance from that just a little bit. Not to say, hey, y'all are all going to hell in a handbasket and start to gloom and doom over everybody around us, but at least to start to see the difference. To see that, yeah, some of these things, even though we live in Boswell, Oklahoma, even though we live in the Bible Belt, there is still a radically different kingdom culture that is a city that is set up on a hill that is to be a difference even in the culture around us. I hope I'm making sense here that yes, it's good to, uh, to appreciate the place, the time that we live in and uh, to find the good that's in culture as well. We shouldn't always just talk about the bad, but to see that there is a difference, to see that there is something uh, like there's a line that separates I live according to God's kingdom culture. I am the city on a hill. I am the salt of the earth. I'm the light of the world in him that is different from what's going on around me. And to pray that God would start to bring those things to the surface, start to make it more obvious, even in our own hearts first, so that the world can continue to see even more drastically that is different. They are different. That's a city that's on a hill. That's something I can look to and see that God has a different picture. God has a different plan for what he wants to do in this world. So that's what we're going to be unpacking over here over the next few, few weeks. That was kind of just a way to kind of whet the appetite a little bit, uh, show the way of where we're going. But as we unpack these things, remember, for each of these, we're looking to Jesus, the head of the church. If we're going to be a generous people, how do we look to Jesus as an example of generosity, as the, the source of our grace to be generous? You know, he's the example, he's the wisdom that we need, and he's the grace to do it. So all, all of these things, again, we're submitting and, and aligning to Jesus. So, so that's where we're going, that's where we're headed. And I just want to, to right now, I want to create an opportunity to, to respond to the Lord. If you would, if you would just bow your heads, close your eyes, that, that's what I'd ask of you. And uh, you know, we had at the very beginning of our service this morning, this word uh, of unlocking. And, and like Clint said, that's kind of been a word for us locally here in Boswell, even this, this whole year. But specifically, it was God spoke to Clint and confirmed it through others even that we really need to make opportunity this morning for people to respond to what Jesus is doing. That God is doing this work of unlocking. Uh, whatever addiction, whatever pain, whatever disease, whatever it is that you might have found yourself bound in or burdened by coming in, God wants to set you free. Where God's spirit is, there is freedom. God did not create you. He didn't design you to live in a jail cell. To live bound up and defeated and broken. God designed you to live in freedom. And what I want to do right now is just give you an opportunity to respond to that word. If you've come in at all feeling like, man, I am chained up in something. I'm bound up in something. I'm bound in unforgiveness, this hurt and pain that somebody did to me years ago, I still just can't shake it, try as I might. Whatever it is, if that's you, I really just want to speak God's blessing over you, to agree, to put some faith with God's word. You know, if Jesus spoke this, then I want us to put some faith with it. 
and receive together. So if that's you, if you just want some prayer over that, to experience some freedom in Christ this morning, would you raise your hand? I I just want to pray with you. I'm not going to bring you to the front or make some big show of you. Thank you, Jesus. I'm seeing them. I know who I'm agreeing with now. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. I see it. If there's anyone, I see it. Thank you, Lord. If there's anyone else, if that's you this morning, I'm just going to pray. I'm going to speak God's word over you. And there's, I want you to know there's, there's not just some magical formula in what I'm going to say, but God created this world through his word. He gave us the power of life and death in our tongue. And so even just in this act of speaking, what God's already able to do on his own power, we're just, we're just speaking it. We're declaring it. So if there's anybody else, if you want me to pray with you, know that I'm praying with you. If you'd raise your hand, I want to. I want to know who I'm agreeing with. Okay, well, thank you, Jesus, for these hands. God, I thank you for your freedom. I pray that you would, especially for those who have raised their hands just now, God, I don't know the situation, I don't know the specifics, but you know every single bit of it. And not only do you know it, God, but you are well able to release. You're well able to set us free Thank you, Jesus, that whenever you came and started your ministry, you said that the Spirit of God was upon you to proclaim liberty to the captives. And so, Lord, we speak your liberty that can only be found in you, Jesus. We speak liberty to everyone here who's been held captive by anything. Anyone who's been held captive by uh, an addiction. Anyone who's been held captive by some kind of way of doing things that ends in death. Anyone who's been held captive by their own thoughts or ways of seeing things. Whatever it is, Lord Jesus, your name is more powerful. Your name is greater. And we release the freedom of your spirit on them in the name of Jesus. We thank you, God, for freedom. Lord, as you break these chains, as you open up these doors for them to run through, God, I thank you for even this week, just a lightness of heart, a lightness of heart that they haven't felt maybe even in years. Getting to run with you, experience the goodness of who you are, what you've done. God, I thank you for speaking to these people this week, ministering your closeness, your peace, the goodness of your presence to them. God, I pray that they'd be radically aware of how good you are and what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.